0: If you've not been able to be with us during our series on Genesis, let me kind of bring you up to speed because today's message goes deep and it, it really needs to have the, the foundation for understanding. We started this study of Genesis based upon the sovereignty of God that this is not a book of rules but rather a love letter between man and God. The book of Job is the earliest writings in this book. So it was written first, but yet it appears in the middle of the Bible. And we ask ourselves, well, why did God start the Bible off with not the oldest book written, or the first book written, but He started it off with the dictation that He gave to a man named Moses on top of a mountain about how He created everything. And we studied and we learned very quickly that God did not intend Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 to be about science. He didn't give us enough detail for it to be about science. He didn't tell us that I collided two molecules of hydrogen into one molecule of oxygen and I created water. He just simply said I created water. What He wanted you to know through the acts of His creation is that God has a theme. And that theme was to take a world that was dark, void and in chaos and bring order, detail and light to it. Because He knew that your life and my life was going to look similar because of the impact of sin. Our lives in moments of failure were going to look very dark and chaotic. I know mine did at least. And he was giving me his reference, his resume to say, David, when you come to the point where you are in chaos, darkness, and void of purpose, I want you to remember that I gave you my, re- my uh, references in Genesis chapter 1 that said you can go ask the first six days of creation and you'll find out over and over and over again I can bring order to the chaos, I can bring light to the darkness, and I can bring detail to the void. And then we talked about the fall, and I brought an apple for everybody here. If you missed that Sunday, you missed your apple. I only got one today. Because even though it probably wasn't an apple tree, it was a tree. And the temptation by the serpent was to get our eyes off of God, and he tempted Adam and Eve with the very things that they had already. The Bible says that when he asked Eve what did God really say it was at that point I wish the Bible would have read Adam stepped up and said God didn't talk to her, he talked to me. And I had to convey what God said to her so why don't you direct the rest of your questions to me but we found out that that was not the case. And they fell prey to temptation because the fruit, the Bible says was desirable to the eye. Now this is all introduction but ladies this is a little rough part we found out how valuable our culture thinks about beauty 64.5 billion dollars is spent annually on just the stuff that goes on your face not surgeries i'm talking about your eyes lips and cheek 64.5 billion dollars don't stop there's nothing wrong with makeup it's when you are looking in that mirror thinking that you're going to affirm the purposes and the beauty of God in your life that we run into trouble because if you even without your makeup on your worst day if you'll listen to the voice of God he'll find you'll find out he still thinks you're beautiful now fellas you don't get off so easy because the next point of the temptation was It was pleasurable or desirable. And we think that we can find pleasure in different things other than the pleasures of God. Because you want to go into the extreme of the the example that I gave you. We pay musicians, professional musicians, you know, that entertain us, bring pleasure through music. Whoever is your favorite band or person. Then think about what we pay actresses and actors to bring you the movies you enjoy and then think about professional athletes how much we pay them to play ball for us now men most of the time we're trying to live vicariously through whatever team we're following i am a glutton for punishment that's why i'm a dolphin fan But if you compare those salaries with the salaries of doctors, nurses, firefighters, and police officers, people that are paid to respond to a phone call that says, My house is on fire, and we expect somebody to come showing up in a red truck with sirens and run into our burning house and save everybody in our house, and yet we pay them far less than the people that we watch on the movie screen. That's how much we appreciate pleasure. We know Adam and Eve fell. The results of sin and death come into the world. And then last week we talked about the contagious nature of sin. It started in a garden with two people. And now by the time you get to chapter 4, it's leaked out into their children. And one of their sons is killing another son. Cain kills Abel. And we see that all of a sudden the contagious nature of sin becomes epidemic. And it starts to spread and you go through chapter 5 and it's a boring chapter. And it's all about this father uh, was the father of this person and they lived X number of years and it does that over and over and over again. Right in the middle of this boring chapter it says, but there was a man named Enoch. And he was righteous before God and he walked with God. And he walked with God so close that one day he he got closer to heaven than he did to home. And God said, you want to go home with me? And he just was not. I told the congregation last week, I'd l- I would like to sign up for that passage. Uh, you know, I'm just fishing and I was not. I just went to heaven. Boom. Gone. But we found out that sin becomes so contagious by the time you get to chapter 6... God is regretting that he made mankind. That does not mean that God made a mistake and he regretted something because he made a mistake. No, what he was regretful for was like a uh, father looking into the life of a son living so far below their potential. Because he gave man self-will and choice. And they could have chosen to be like their creator, but they chose to be like themselves. And it offended God. Just like, how many of you are, are, are parents? Say Amen. How many of you have watched your children in portions of their life live below their potential? I hope it offended you like it offends God. Because at those moments, I raised two boys, I was able to say, Hey guys, we got to step this thing up. You're not living uh, uh, to the maximum of your potential. Well, God was responding, and when it says He regretted that He made man, He regretted that man had made the choice that they made to be like themselves instead of like their Creator. Living so far. And it moved the heart of God to judgment. And God um, was going to take everybody out in a flood. But the Bible says this. But Noah was righteous, blameless, and he walked with God. And God said because of not, he didn't measure how wicked the world was. He measured the righteousness of one man and said, he's enough for me to rescue them all. Because had it not been for his righteousness, you and I wouldn't be here. So can somebody say amen for the righteousness of good people? Amen? Well, today we're going to talk about the flood, the judgment. Because that is so misunderstood many times. And we're going to preach Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And so for the time's sake, we're not going to read all four chapters. So would you bow your heads and let's pray. Father, today I ask You for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to allow the illumination of Your Word to come alive. And that, Father, that we could understand the passage which seems so harsh and judgment to be so sure. I ask that, Father, we see the hand of mercy over and over again through a covenant-making God, and I give You the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... One of the principles in this story of the flood of Noah, and I'm going to take you past your, your Sunday school lesson. You think you know the story, but I'm going to probably give you some information today that you're going to want to tuck away. The first part of information, have you ever noticed how God requires this thing called participation? Yes, that He wants you to be a part of the things that He's doing to such a degree that He almost mandates you to participate in it. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about God has a history of providing provision and then making you respond through participation to enjoy the provision that He's bestowed upon you through the promises of God. You say, Pastor, give me some examples. How about this feeding of the 5,000? Okay, That's 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. The estimated total crowd was somewhere between ten and 12,000 people. And that uh, uh, Jesus' movement of compassion was because they had listened to Him teach all day without eating and He was fearful that if they tried to travel in that physical condition that they would faint on the way home. Now God is a supernatural God that can do anything. So he could have stood up and instead of breaking bread and fish, he could have stood up and simply uh, cured the issue with one simple prayer. All he had to do was look up towards heaven and say, Father, make sure each and every person that has been faithful to staying with me all day makes it home. So why didn't he do that? Because he wanted not only them to understand the provision of God, but to experience the provision of God. It's one thing for me to preach about victory as being a Christian. It's another thing for you to live in victory and experience victory. It's one thing when it's a theory. Somebody's read in a a Sunday school lesson or read in a passage of the Bible. It's another thing. It takes on a whole new life when you experience it. So he said, well, what do we have? He said, the disciples go in and survey the crowd. He said, well, we got one boy with a bag lunch. He says, okay, what's that mean? Bring it to me and I'll do something with it. The boy gives up his bag lunch. He breaks bread and fish. He prays and blesses it, passes it out to the entire crowd and they collect scraps after everybody was filled, baskets full, but he didn't eat for the first person. He didn't put the first piece of bread or fish in somebody's mouth. He put it in their hand and said, good luck. You eat it, you'll be strong enough to get home. You don't, you're on your own. God bless. You say, well, pastor, that seems to be one example and it seems to be extreme. How about the crippled guy he healed? You remember that awkward conversation? Hey, do you want your legs back? What what kind of question is that? Of course I want my legs back. Okay, it's going to change everything about you. I'm going to do what you can't do for your legs. But when I do it, I want you to clean up your mess. Remember, pick up your bed and go home? You can't live here anymore? Get your mess up? You can't do that now, but when I heal you, you can. Did, have you ever noticed that in every miracle of Christ, He never does anything that they could do for themselves? But yet, we want to pray that way. God, do it all, be all, and I'll just enjoy the benefits of you being God. And God says, no, I'm going I'm to do something different, because if God wanted to judge the earth... He didn't have to cause a flood. He could have just said, you know what? At 6 o'clock tomorrow evening, I'm going to cause everybody's heart to stop except one man. And you know what? At 6 o'clock the next evening, everybody would have fell over dead. So why the purpose of the flood? It was symbolic of a baptism and a cleansing that was going to come through an analogy of the Old Testament that was going to bring us to a knowledge of a New Testament experience that says I can be bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and the flood of that crimson blood can flow over my life and do away and wash away every sin that I've ever committed in my past and even give me mercy during the sins that I will commit in my future. But there God is showing Himself Mighty through the analogy of an Old Testament flood. You say, Pastor, what does, are you sure? Listen to what the book says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us. Bring, to, uh, bring us to God being put to death in the flesh made alive in spirit in which we went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. I'm going to read that again. But when God waited... Uh, because, now I've lost my place. That very rarely happens. In which they proclaimed to obey that the former did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought to safety through water baptism. Baptism. Which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body but as the appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and a power being subject unto Him. That is telling us that this flood was about an image that God was creating through judgment that was going to allow you to understand that at the moment that you deserve judgment, mercy was given to you, and the same power of a water to wash away the iniquity of the hearts of men thinking continually evil, all of a sudden the blood of Jesus is going to secure you for eternity. Can somebody say amen? You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? Because at this very moment, God starts to speak to Noah in the moments prior to judgment through the conversations of covenant. And listen how he talks. See, God never told Noah, build me an ark. Did you know that? He said, build yourself an ark. Listen to what the scripture says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. God didn't say, hey, make me an ark. God doesn't need an ark. He's not the one going to be in the water. But there's going to be moments where you need an ark and you need a vehicle of mercy. Now we know that vehicle of mercy in today's time is the cross of Calvary. Somebody say amen. But it was a symbol of the Old Testament being an ark of mercy that is going to prevent you from moments of judgment. A lot of people in this moment ask me, Pastor, why was God so harsh and why did He kill everybody? He waited patiently for a hundred years for one man to preach over and over and built an ark for anybody that wanted to get in. Only eight got in. You say, Pastor, He drowned everybody. I beg to differ that people that decided not to get on a boat died of their own choice and everybody but eight people decided to get on the boat. Amen. But I want to talk because for us to understand the rest of the story, you've got to understand covenant. I've asked J.J. to run to my office and get a coat, one of my spare. Will you come up here and, and let's just, you can sit right here, J.J., for the time being. And I'm going to explain what covenant is all about. See, covenant is about responsibilities and obligations between two people. And sometimes we only want to know what God's responsibility and obligations are. You are not, God is not in covenant with Himself. He's in covenant with you. And that makes you personally responsible and obligated to uphold your end of the bargain. See... Covenant is like a contract between two people, or God and someone, or God and something. Covenant states the terms of expectation, a chosen relationship where two parties make promises associated with both blessings and curses. Look at your neighbor and tell them, blessings and curses. Because both parties have responsibilities and obligations. So, J.J., I'm going to make you today the warrior, the most fiercest warrior in all of the land. You have the baddest group of men around you in the world. You are the elite of the elite. You are special forces on steroids. And I am a humble farmer. That's all. But you and I have responsibilities, and we're going to come together, and we are going to agree together to go into covenant with one another. We don't do covenants in secret. See, that's one of the issues with the body of Christ today is we want to make covenants in secret when we should make our covenants known to all the world. We want to secretly love Jesus when we should be proclaiming if it had not been for Him, we would be dead on our own already. Amen? So all of a sudden, me and you decide that there are things you have that I need and there's things I have that you need. And we come together and we gather everybody we have influence over and we do this thing publicly. And we start declaring expectations and obligations. And we start talking to one another in promises. And we say, I promise. And me as a farmer are going to say, J.J., you have the baddest group of men in town and I need your protection." So I promise for that protection that I am going to grow food for all of us. My men being farmers are going to grow the best crops in the world. But if there is a famine during the time in which I am going to grow my crops, I promise you that you will never die of hunger before me. I will make sure that your your plate is full before my plate is full. And if somebody has to go hungry, it will be me. And I obligate and I promise and swear to you before God that my blessings will Content upon me being faithful to my covenant. And if I am not faithful, may the hand of heaven re- reduce my life to curse. That's what we would say in the Old Testament. And then you would stand up before your people. Because we don't want this thing to be done in secret because I want to know, I want every farmer to know that if Captain JJ comes on the scene and says, I want a piece of corn, somebody better be moving to get him a piece of corn. Because it's like him saying it is just like me saying it. And all of a sudden you would stand up before your warriors and you would say that man's going to act like a general from now on. He was a farmer just two minutes ago, but he has the authority of a general of this army. If he tells you that there's an invading army to our west, you are to get your weapons, get your swords, get your spears and get your shields and get going west. Because there will never be an enemy that will take his life before they take mine. And you will make that obligation and that promise. We will stand with one another in the presence of the people we have influence with. Now if you will stand, and we take our jackets off. Because my jacket represents me as a farmer. And your jacket represents you as a warrior. And I exchange jackets with you. And I put on this new jacket, and you put on your new jacket. And just putting on the jacket of a warrior makes me feel tougher. And you are obligated. Now at this moment friends, we stop right here in our relationship with Jesus, but it has to take one more step. If there's ever an invading army, and I come to you and say, man, they're over here to the west, and you take your, your group, and you retreat with that in cowardness and in and, and, and fear, and you let me die before you, the world at that point destroys your reputation as a man faithful to his covenant, and you now have to live under the obligation of being a man that was unfaithful to your words, and I the same. In times of, of famine. Thank you. Can somebody give him a hand this morning for his participation? Thank you. We'll take that. So, what in the world does this mean? See, for the next. Part of this story, God is speaking through language of covenant. That means two people have chosen to enter into an agreement together and we have to find out what our obligations and responsibilities are. Because all of a sudden God says, I need you to make make for yourself a boat called an ark and here are the specifications. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. Somebody say inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make a lower and second and third deck. God says, I want you to make a boat three stories high and about 300 plus feet long. It looks like a square with round edges. And what God is saying is, I'm not making this boat for you to sail. I'm making this boat for you to survive. I don't need it to get from point A to point B by a sail. I just need it to float. But he gives him specific instructions about how to build it. And God is saying, I'm providing you the natural resources. I didn't make you make me a gopher tree. I took care of that for you. I created everything, the pitch, the wood, the trees. Your obligation is manpower. Your obligation is obedience. And your obligation is faith. And now the currency of covenant will always root itself in the fertile grounds of faith. The faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The faith of of, of Noah, right here. He is having to do something for a hundred years, hoping that God is faithful to his word because he's never seen it rain. And all of a sudden now he's having to build something, a boat where there's no water in sight. And God gave him specific blueprints to do it. What if he would have changed? What if it had said, now God, here's where a lot of people get messed up. You're going to hit a little bumpy space right here. If you're new here, this is called turbulence. <laughs> because right here, we think good intentions should take over. What if it only worked for 25 years? And at year 23 said, I'm going to shorten God's plan. I'm not going to build it three stories. I'm only going to build it a story and a half. I'm not going to do the whole thing about pitching it inside and out. I'm just going to pitch it on the inside. Well, first of all, it wouldn't have had enough room for the animals, and the animals that were there would have probably crushed the eight people inside of it. It would have smelled horrifically, and it probably would have sank during the storm. And then we would have blamed God, saying that if there had been a survivor, we would have said, we did it, and God didn't come through because we died. My family died because, no, you died because you tried to change the plans of God. And that's why what's so dangerous about our culture today. This book here is the plans that God gives you for the remedy for the vehicles of mercy and when we start taking stuff out of this book saying I'm not building it 300 feet long I'm only going to build it 150 feet because I don't want, God knows my heart, I've given him 25 years but you need 75 more to build it the way he did because if you go through and go all the way to 100 years and build it three stories high and with a door on the side that door gets closed by the hand of God but does never get opened by the hand of God you'll find out that God is faithful and they survived. You know all that stuff that we say, oh, that doesn't mean that anymore, Pastor, here. Well, that, that's for old times. This is new times. Just pitch it on the inside. That's enough. Yeah, it's enough to spring leaks halfway through the storm. It's enough for you to start bailing water. Well, God, I, I don't want to bail water. I thought you were my God. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. You may have only done half your obligations. And you're complaining about bail and water and he's saying if you'd have just pitched it on the inside and the out, you wouldn't have a bucket in your hand. Thank God that he's merciful. Can somebody say amen? amen? So all of a sudden, here is this God giving divine instructions on how to build an ark. And all Noah has to do is be obedient. He has to be faithful and have faith to believe that God's word is going to be true. And then he is going to have to supply manpower. You know God didn't drive the first nail. He never held the first hammer. God could have just supplied a miracle. That's what's so ironic. Some people say, well, Pastor, I wonder why I couldn't have lived in Bible days. You'd have killed us all. (laughs) Because the modern church would have just gathered in a circle and said... Heavenly Father, there's a forest full of gopher wood and you want us to use gopher wood? Send your angels to build a boat. No, he wants you to build the boat to find out that your participation in something miraculous could stay the hand of judgment of God. And so you doing what you're wanting somebody else to do for you is important to you getting to your destiny. And this is one of my favorite parts of all the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 7 verse 5. And Noah did all that God commanded him. And the moment that he did it all, God was obligated to covenant for the survival of mankind. He said... The rains may come 40 days and 40 nights, and they're not going to recede for another year plus. But you know this, you have fulfilled your obligations of faith, obedience, and manpower. I will supply the, the life-giving substance that you ain't going to kill yourself or, kill, or be killed by the animals in that boat. And that is a miracle all in its own. If you ever lived with family, say amen. And you got one dude with three kids and their wives and a house full of pets. You say, well, pastor, you mentioned that that God shut the door with His sovereign hand, but He never opened it. It was on purpose. Because God knows that sometimes you will take His vehicle that's supposed to be temporary and you'll try to make a life out of it. Some of you have walked through some crisis moments in your life and you have held on to that as an identity. God wants you to tear that thing apart and get a new identity in Christ. He wants you to know that He provided you the mercy to get through the points that you deserve judgment. But there was consequences to your decisions of sin. But now there's an opportunity for a brand new day. See, the Bible tells us that Noah had to tear his way out of the ark. Listen to chapter 8, verse 13. In the 600 year, and of the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. What I see in that passage is a man that says, I have lived with my kids long enough. I'm sick and tired of these animals. They smell. And if I had the choice, I may pick the pets instead of the the kids. So I'm going to get my hammer and tear the roof off of this thing and look outside so I can find out, is there enough of dry ground for us to beat our way out of this thing? Because God knew if they didn't tear holes in the ark, they would try to live in it. But how can you multiply and replenish the earth if you live inside of a little boat? Sometimes we get saved and we're so thankful for getting saved that we don't realize that God has a calling and a destiny on our life bigger than who we are and we want to just live in the moment of our salvation. I'm just not going to hell anymore and I'm going to heaven. There's a lot for you to do on the way. Amen. Get out of the ark and let's live a little bit. Fulfill some purposes. They beat their way out because God knew if I I don't tear holes in this thing, they'll try to come back. (laughs) that's good preaching, I don't care what y'all say. (laughs) Noah comes out of the ark and does something for the first time in recorded history. At least for the Bible. He builds an altar. Another covenant relationship moment that covenant men living by faith and obedience will always provide for themselves a place to worship an almighty God. All of a sudden, they're getting out of the ark, and he's tearing a hole in the ark. And him and his kids are getting out on dry ground. And he's thinking, Man, they're going to build their house over there. I want them close, but I don't want them with me. <laughs> they're going to build their house next door, and I'm going to build my house here. And we could have never gotten here without this boat. And we better stop before we build the first house, we better stop and build an altar and start worshiping the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, and the God of all creation, and declare that without Him we could have never gotten here. So before we go thinking of ourselves, let's think of the one that got us to this moment, and let's build an altar of fellowship between God and man. And the moment that worship starts to be echoed from the mouths and the hearts of man to the ears and hearts of God, He starts to talk back. And He starts to make covenant again. Now with man and with the earth. You can play something for me or remind me to quit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all of a sudden, this guy builds an altar of fellowship with God and starts to worship, with the heart for the worship and pursuing the heart of God. What would you have said? I know if it was me, I'd have said, God, thank you. Thank you for providing me a moment to be obedient and to participate in your sovereign glory. To reveal your glory to the earth. Thank you for the call that's on my life to replenish the earth. But before I go to replenishing and thanking you for what I'm going to have in the future, let me thank you for what i got right now. Let me thank you on behalf of David Pleasant, for David Logan Pleasant and his wife Aaliyah that that got in the ark with me too. Because they're going to also be the ones being used by you to multiply and replenish the earth. Thank you for their safety. Thank you for Joshua and Melissa. that They are also safe. And we lived together without killing each other. And we, we had pets together. And we enjoyed fellowship together. And we rode on that boat together. And not one single animal rolled over on anybody. There wasn't any accidents. There wasn't anything that was happening. And God, I want you to know, I can't be thankful for my tomorrows until I thank you for my today. Because without you, I could have never got to here. I could have been like everybody else, treading water as long as I could to succumb to the judgment that I deserved. But your vehicle of mercy rescued me. And the Bible says this, and it went up. Will you guys put that up on? Hopefully I can get close enough to read it. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. All of a sudden he's saying, because of the acts of the righteousness of one man and his faithfulness and his obedience and his covenant relationship with me, I am now establishing a new covenant based upon his worship that says, I will not ever again do this to the earth. I'm going to cut covenant with the earth. There's going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be day and night. There's going to be summer and winter. It's going to be, the seasons are going to change. But next time, I want you to understand, I'm, a, I'm in a new relationship. There's a covenant. I know you're going to fall short again, but I'm never going to destroy the world by water again, ever. And then he seals it with a sign called a rainbow. How many of you have ever seen a rainbow? Raise your hand. Tell your neighbor, tell them, say, I've seen multiple rainbows before. I've seen them because God wanted them to know. It's going to rain again, but I don't want you to be fearful that I'm flooding the earth again. There's a sign that after the rain, when the sun peaks out, it's still going to accumulate the residue of the rain inside the clouds. And it is going to produce a beautiful sign to you that says, I am mindful of my covenant and I will not forget. He calls it an everlasting covenant. I'm never going to forget that I made you a promise that I'm not going to do this ever again. So the next time it rains, don't get afraid. The earth is not going to be consumed by water. Why is this so important? The rainbow is an everlasting seal of His promised covenant between He and man and He and the earth. And He sealed it. With the sign of a rainbow, but did you know what? That when Jesus made new covenant with us, that's what the the He says I am doing. I am fulfilling the old covenant and doing and and calling it done and finished. But then I'm going to start a new covenant, and you can go back to the faithfulness of the old covenant and find out every time you saw the seal of the sign that says I'm not. It, it rains. It's not going to flood because I want you to know my faithfulness. Did you know you were sealed in the new covenant? The same, the same principles apply now to you and Jesus. The same principles in which are, are this way. This is what makes me want to shout. I'm trying to, to stay in teach mode, but this right here may make me go preacher mode and get a little sideways. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath or sealed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Then Paul reinforces the ceiling in 2 Timothy 2.19 but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His and let everyone whose name names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That means that He has sealed me with the authority and the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And that even though I will not remain perfect after I get up off of my knee, wouldn't that be wonderful? That you, ask, you got on your knees and you asked Jesus, forgive you of your sins, and when you got up, you were perfect. I... because in that moment I wish I had just asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and I would have went to heaven But there was purpose to have here on earth for me to live here revealing his glory. So what God did was he said, David, when you get up off of your knees, I am in covenant with you. And I am bound by my obligation and my responsibilities of being your God. You remain faithful, you remain obedient, and you supply the manpower. And I will reveal my glory through you for every day that you exist. So when I fall short and and the enemy whispers and chirps in my ear, he's coming to kill you. He's coming to destroy you. He's coming to strike you with lightning. I stand up with boldness and say, He guaranteed me by the seal of the Holy Spirit that when I fell short, He would be more than enough. Before Amy sings, I'm going to just go back to that thing about changing the plans. I preached this in first service and and Shell wasn't there, so... I really didn't take a big risk, but now she's here, and I can't do anything but preach it the way it come, it come out. How many, how many of you have listened to that old country song that says, thank God for unanswered prayers? Yeah, yeah. Because God knows that your emotions can be stirred in moments of pain to make you make poor decisions. Now, I don't know about you, and I, my wife is the love of my life. And I am thankful for unanswered prayers because you remember when you were in grade school, eighth grade, ninth grade, and your first boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you and you were heartbroken and you started begging and pleading with God to intercede and restore that relationship. You were never supposed to be with that person, but your heart was betraying you because of its pain and telling you, hey, go about this thing and pray. But God was God enough to say no. Because I cannot imagine my life without the lady that's sitting over there. And had God answered some prayers when I was in the 8th grade. Because if you were a Christian, that's the first way you went. You wanted to to manipulate the Almighty by saying, God, you said I could have, your word declares, I could have the desires of my heart. Not putting it in context. And I, I I want that young lady that just broke up with me. So could you change her mind and her heart? God said no because I've destined her to be with somebody else. And for her to fulfill her destiny, it's got to come through the moment, the vehicle of pain, because both of you will learn through the mistakes caused in this relationship to secure another one. That's why when I met her 30 years ago, it was love at first sight. And when I prayed and God said, she's the one, I, I held on to that thing. I held it as covenant promise. I said, God, she's beautiful and I'm not. And, and if you've called me to be her husband, enlighten her about it, strike her with blindness for a moment and allow her to be convinced that when I put the ring on her finger, standing or bowed on one knee, will she please say yes? He said yes, and I did it and she said yes, and here we are. Let me get serious with you for a moment. But isn't that how we do? God, you want me to build a, a, an ark three stories high? No, I don't want to do that. Uh, God, by the way... I, I know you created me and everything else but you don't you've been really busy and you don't know me the way that you, you should know me and so I, I why don't you do my will instead of your will and 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 will you listen to me it's as crazy as Noah saying no I don't want to build the boat 300 cubits I want to build it 150 cubits I don't want to build it three stories I want to build it a story and a half I think that it's enough just to pitch it on the inside I don't need to pitch it on the inside and outside see how crazy that sounds because you know what Noah would have done if God would have if he would have started negotiating with God like that God would have let him do it he wouldn't have made him do it he had self will remember but Noah had to be willing to reap the consequences of that change we've been blaming God for falling short on his covenant but I'm here to assure you it's not him it may be you and it may be me Because if you build the boat the way He tells you to build the boat and you put the pitch on the inside and out and you build it to His specifications, He's guaranteed life. That's the story. Why is this story that seems to be filled with so much judgment in this document of a love letter we call the Bible? It's because God wanted to establish a principle that would be carried throughout the entire rest of the Bible called a covenant relationship. That both parties have responsibilities and obligations. Yes, he seals us. But did you see our responsibility in 2 Timothy? Turn from iniquity. Run from it. We now have a name that's, that we didn't deserve, but we're his. And we should act like we're somebody. That's what my mom used to say all the time. She'd, we'd be going into uh, somebody, a guest house and, and she'd say, remember your manners and act like you're somebody. Christian friend, it's time for us to act like somebody. Like we're living a life that's bearing the image of the creator of all the universe. And it's time not to just ask Him for a forgiveness of our sins, but let us live in, a, in, in the freedom of that freeing of sin as we live revealing the glory of God on earth that says mercy triumphs over judgment. Because all of us deserved it. Would you stand to your feet and would our ministry team come?